You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. First off, uh, the quarterback position, Dwayne Haskins will be the starter uh, for the remainder of the year. And uh, we've got a lot of confidence in Dwayne. He's worked hard. He's smart. He studies, prepares. Uh, so this will be a great opportunity for him going forward. Uh, secondly, uh, Case Keenum will be the backup, and uh, Colt will be the three uh, going into this week. He wanted to make very clear that Jay's guy was the number three guy yes. in that announcement. And if there was a four or a five, he'd have put him there. Too. Right. I'm surprised he's actually still on the roster. I mean, what's the point, really? Uh, that's Tommy. I'm Kevin. Aaron's here also. It's a Sports Fix Tuesday, and we're going to get to certainly the Callahan story from yesterday that he uh, announced that Dwayne Haskins is going to be the starting quarterback for the rest of the year. I, I had a tweet from somebody late last night, this guy Joe, who tweets me all the time, and he said, so what do you think? And I thought to myself, I'm like, Joe, you tweet me all the time about stuff that I say on the show. How don't you know what I, I think? think? Yeah, I've been saying since since OTAs, I want this guy sooner rather than later. What do I think? It's four weeks minimum too late, but I'm glad they made that decision. Can you imagine if old man Callahan had said to Bruce, yeah, we got to play case, gives us the best chance to win. And Bruce said, all right, let's take this into, you know, Mr. Snyder. Mr. Snyder. Yes. Have you ever called anybody your age or younger Mr.? Yeah. You have? Yeah, I do. I mean, certain people, in, in, I feel, based on what I know about them, have earned that level of respect. Until Give me I'm an told. example of somebody much younger than you are, because Dan's much younger much than you. Much younger? That you would refer to as Mr.? Uh... I can't think of anybody. Yeah, I, the reason you know why? Because there isn't anybody that you would feel that way about. Anyway, I don't know why I, I what got happened? sidetracked. Here. Okay, let me let me get real nuts here. Yeah, what happened? Well, this isn't fair. No, it's it's not. Fair. Tell me. No, what would you do if you if you met Barack Obama? Well, the, Mr. President. Mr. President. And I've I've actually I have not met him, but I've told this story before in the podcast. But I don't know if I told told it with you. Cooley and I were playing golf. A year, a year ago, maybe, maybe it was two years ago, and um, the former president is a member at the place that I'm a member at. Right. I've told you that, and so Cooley and I were on the tee box on a hole that was running sort of parallel with the hole that President Obama was playing, and he was on that tee box. And so Cooley sprayed his drive right towards the tee box <laughs> where Obama was standing right. with, you know, his foursome. And, um, you know, it hit short and sort of rolled up on the tee box. And I didn't know it was President Obama at the time when we were in the tee box. But as we started to walk towards the fairway, I said to Cooley, come here. I go, that's President Obama's on the, that tee box, on number 14 tee box. That's who you just hit into. And he turns around and he's like, shut up. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? And I said, no, no, no. It really is. It's him. And Cooley, uh, whatever. He's walking towards his ball. My ball was on the other side of the fairway, far away from it. And as he got to within, you know, maybe 150 yards of that tee box as he's walking up, I screamed over him to him, not real loudly, but enough so he could hear me. Chris, 
it's Mr. President. Because he can be a bit dopey. Well, as, he as may we, have as, gone up and said, hey, Brock, what's up? Yeah. You know? As we know, he already anchored uh, Matthew McConaughey, right? <laughs> right, by calling, him, by calling him Matt. Yeah. And McConaughey said, uh, it's Matthew. Yes. Um, so he turns around loud enough for their tea box to hear and me to hear. And he goes, you don't think I fucking know that? <laughs> Real loud. And then he walked up, and, and I was far away, but when he got back over, he was like, it was. It was President <laughs> Obama. And, and uh, somebody had introduced him, and, and I saw them chat for like 20 seconds, and Cooley hit his shot and then moved on. But anyway, of course it's Mr. with okay. a president. And he's, he's younger the, than me. He's younger than you, so, but he's the president. Well, I mean, there are instances where people, uh, of, of because of their stature, younger than me, have earned that right to be called Mr. unless I'm told otherwise. I have a question for you. Well, I got a question for you, but go ahead. Okay, so with respect to what started this conversation, Dan or Mr. Pre- or Mr. Snyder, you know, there was that, you know, thing about him where he, to- he, everybody had to refer to him as Mr. Snyder. And apparently in the stories are out there that you couldn't even look at him if you were in his presence, if you worked for the organization, you were s- supposed to look away. I mean, just the level of, of complete and utter arrogance and dysfunction. You know, it was early on, but he owned the radio station that we worked for and as we've both said many times, not once were we ever told what we could say or not say, and not once did he ever set foot into the radio station. I think you and I met him. I know I did. See, I didn't meet him at the Super Bowl. I did once or I think twice on on Radio Row at the Super Bowl. You know what? One of them was with Rigo. One of, okay. and, but I thought one of them was with you. But One may- was with me, but I didn't meet him. You went running over to him. To make sure that you met him, <laughs> okay, and and, and that every, he knew who you were. Will you tell everybody stayed, that you're making that up? While please? I stayed in my chair. Well, that's what happened. <laughs> that's not what. That's happened. what happened. I didn't get up to go chase after him, and you did. Okay, Tommy completely made that up, and you know what he's doing here? He's trying to get revenge for the Brooklyn Decker story, where he couldn't even speak when she sat down in front of us. It it was the same Super Bowl. That that did not happen. It it was the same Super Bowl. And all I know is that I didn't move, and you did. Actually, we weren't even on the air. Uh, We were finished up, and Doc and Coach and um, Brian were doing their show. I think, or maybe been Jackson, Brian, and Doc. I forget which Super Bowl it was. And you and I were gathering our things and getting ready, and they, they walked up right on us. It, that's what I don't know if you were there. You, you're saying you weren't even there, so now you're making up something about it. And um, I, I forget it. Might have been Tony. Might have been Tony Wiley. Said, uh, you know, Dan, you know Kevin Sheehan, and I had never met him before, and I just introduced myself to him, and that was it. But my question is this: What if he had told you, uh, "It's not Dan. It's Mister Snyder." Or what if, like Tony Wiley had said, uh, when Dan walks into here, he's the owner of the company now, right? right. If he had said, uh, you're only to refer to him as Mr. Snyder. I would have referred to him as Mr. Snyder. God, I wouldn't you're have such it. a good little boy. I wouldn't have a problem with that. It's just a name. I, I would have had a major problem. I and don't by think the I would way, have done it. By the way, he was, doing an, he was doing interviews with other radio stations. Right. And that's where, and that's where you chased after him. 
while he was while he was doing interviews. Tommy, with other you're stations. making that up. Okay. I would have never ever chased after okay. anybody that was certainly not better looking than him. Okay, all right, and and, and perhaps female. Uh, that's so. Not, what do you want? How do you want me to put it? How do you want me to say it? Well, you first of all, you started with I wasn't there. So. No, I, I I was there, <laughs> but I wasn't there when you met him. I I in other words, you met him in a different part of that room. I can and only he tell was you. Doing I think there were two different times. With other stations. Then. I think I did the show with Rigo once, where he perhaps came by our radio row setup while we were in, on the air. Right, and. Didn't really even meet him, maybe said hello during a break or something like that. And then the time that you're talking about, we were gathering our things after our show and getting up and Doc, I forget if it was Doc and Coach or Doc, Brian and Scott were sitting down and I think it was Tony Wiley or somebody came up with him and we said hello and that was it. If that's the way you, you want to go, that's well, fine with me. You know what? Why, why would you leave Because that's to... not the way I remember it. Oh, uh, where did I chase him down from? He was he was doing an interview at a couple of tables over and from us. And what did us. I do? Sprint over there? Well, you oh, didn't Mr. Sprint. Snyder. He didn't hi, sprint hi, over, it? but you went over. No, I didn't. And I didn't go over. That's not true. Okay. That's not true. Okay, then I must now, have a faulty memory. Well, you do have a faulty memory. Okay. Now, let me just say this. If he were at another table and we were done with our show, I would have gone over if I had not met him before. And, and I think, again, we m- maybe met him once with Rigo. And I would have said hello. I would have done that. But okay. I didn't. I, that's not how that one Okay played out okay and i certainly didn't run over there okay okay <laughs> whatever you say i just you know i'm getting old i, I don't remember things no you don't a, a, as good you but, only remember the things that you get right i, I think i'm i think i got this one nailed but you know whatever uh, yeah okay whatever speaking it's of whatever. getting old yeah is this the story that you this wanted is, to share with the story me? i want to share okay. with you sunday night uh in dc i had dinner with a kid who I hadn't seen since 1965. A kid who I grew up with playing on Sterling Place in Brooklyn, New York, every day almost. I mean, uh, me and Tommy Tarnan were part of the three Tommies. Tommy Lenti, Tommy Tarnan, and me. Hold on. Tommy Tannen? T. T- Tarnan. Ter- so he was Irish? Irish. And then the other one was uh, Italian. Yeah, yeah. And, and then Lavero was, was... half and half. You were a half and half. Right. So we played together every day. I mean, you know, and, and we were tight. And, and uh, we left in 65, moved to the Poconos. He moved out of the, into Long Island in 66. And he reached out to me on social media not long ago. Uh, he asked if this was the Tommy Lavero who used to play on, on Sterling Place in Brooklyn, New York. And he was in D.C. for the weekend with his wife, so we got together for dinner. I mean, this is... And this was such a step back in time, talking about, like, we went down, we tried to name the stores uh, along the block, (laughs) you know? Like, the meat market was here, the fish market was here, there there was a a 5 and 10 called Cheap Charlie's that that was here, you know, the beauty parlor was, I mean, just going through the whole neighborhood and some of the characters that we used to see in the neighborhood, like the older guys, it was was literally like a Bowery Boys kind of thing sometimes. Uh, what were you like? Ten in '65. In '65, I was I was eleven. That's when we left. So, New York. did you recognize him when you walked in? He he recognized me. I went up and and checked because we had a reservation, 
And I went up to the desk and, and checked on the reservation, and he came up behind me and recognized me right away. And then I recognized him. He, uh, you know, he's, 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 his father was a cop, I remember, in, in Brooklyn, and he was big. And he, he's taller than me. Uh, but, uh, it was just a, a great moment. It was just, it was, I mean, it was literally going back in time, you know, remembering some of the, I mean, he remembered some things that I had forgotten. I remembered some things he had, he had forgotten. Like he remembered the names of, of some of the older kids who were basically juvenile delinquents. I mean, we're talking about a, a neighborhood that that was real Brooklyn. You know, uh, I mean, that's why that's why like one of the two most important movies to me I ever saw when I was young was West Side Story because it resonated with me because that's kind of like what our neighborhood was. Right. <clears throat> so uh, that's Were you all. a jet? No, I wasn't a jet. <laughs> I, w- I was a little jet. Okay. I was a little jet. I, w- I was a propeller. So like what I, I mean, first of all, it's it's really interesting because technology, obviously, and social media, Facebook in particular, probably more than anything else, has enabled or or facilitated these these reunions yes. of people. Like it, it wasn't possible before and this. Absolutely not. You know what was he going to do? Like think of you and then look you up in the white pages, <laughs> you know, and track you down that way. Um, so. What kind of guy did he turn out to be? Well, he he turned out to be a very successful guy. He worked on Wall Street for years and then went into restoring uh, classic cars, which he does now. He's semi-retired, and he does that part-time. He's done very well for himself, and we we made a pledge. Because well, I've been meaning to spend a, a weekend or a few days up in Brooklyn sometime soon because my wife has never been to Coney Island, and I used to go to Coney Island all the time. So we you know we we made a vow to get together when we go up to Brooklyn next year uh, to see each other again. We really hit it off. It, it was it was like, you know, it was like we were still kids flipping cards. That's awesome. Flipping baseball cards. <laughs> That's awesome. It really was. Did he know anything about your life or your well, he, career? He's been following me for a couple of years. Like I said, he reached out to me on Twitter a couple of years ago. Oh, he did. Right, and then so we follow each other, and he's a big sports guy. He's a Mets guy. You know, grew up a Mets fan like I did. Uh, so uh, he's been reading my stuff over the years and, and following me. So, yeah, he knew about he knew more about me than I knew about him. Yeah. At, at, at that point, I knew he was in the cars. I just didn't know that he'd actually gone into the business of restoring cars. You know, um, did he was he surprised at your career path? Were you someone at that age that said, I want to be a writer or I'm into, were you a sports fan? As like, I mean, when I've, when sort of technology has brought back these, you know, the, these communications with people from your childhood that you would have never had without it. Like I've had many people say to me, you were the biggest sports fan. This doesn't surprise me. You know, when you were a kid, did he, is that what he remembered about you? Well, but we were all the same. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we point out and he understood, there were two things that you argued about when you were a kid, an eight year old kid in Brooklyn, Yankees, baseball and music. Yeah. Those were the things that we argued about. We used to argue like who was better, the Dave Clark five or the Beatles, (laughs) You know, uh, Bobby Rydell or, or, or Chubby Checker, who was better, Willie Mays or, or Mickey Mantle. So it, they were just as big sports fans as I was. I mean, that, that, that consumed us. Right. You know, they used to go to, to Shea Stadium in the early days to see Met, Met games as well. Uh, so it didn't necessarily surprise them, given how much I cared about sports, but it was no different 
than how much he cared about sports as well. What about the third Tommy? What do you know about him? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know much about him. Did he? Uh, no, he didn't know much about him either. So we really don't know much about Tommy uh, Lenti one way or the other. Uh, but it was, it, it was a great moment, and what made it great cause is, is how well we got along. That's years later. That's awesome. I mean, this is this is yeah because you could be com- two completely different yeah. people yeah. with nothing in common. Yeah, and our wives were there, and they hit it off as well. It, it was a it was it was a great moment to go back in time. We share things how like you know like you know the buses. What we used to do as kids, we used to jump on the back bumper of the bus and put our fingers into the crevice of the window and ride the bus for blocks. Yeah. You know, for fun. I mean, it's insane yeah. when you think about because you're hanging on by, literally by the tips of your fingers. Sure. And we talked about that. And, and we talked about how, you know, like how if you went into the wrong neighborhood, you really risked getting getting your ass beat. And it's only a couple of blocks in any direction. And what were the what were the neighborhoods that you feared back then? Like, were, was it? I mean, well, if, if you went if you went down St. John's place, one block two blocks more away from your from where we lived you risked getting a beating if you went out there like st mark's avenue uh you risk it st mark's avenue is where joe pepitone grew up for the guy who played so for were the these Yankees. primary primarily italian neighborhoods that you had to steer clear of or not uh mostly yeah mostly um that's so that it was great. that's actually really really yeah. cool i mean i've had a couple of those the the weirdest one i shouldn't say it was weird because it was actually so pleasant and I probably told you this story. It was not when you and I were doing a show. It was when I was doing the show with Riggins, and it was televised on Masson. I remember that. Remember that? So I had an email from this woman who said, are you the Kevin Sheehan that went to Woodacres Elementary School? <laughs> you know, and it would have been these years, and, and, I, and I saw she signed it, Lorraine Kemp. And I said, that's Mrs. Kemp. That's my first grade teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and so I immediately got back to her. I said, Mrs. Kemp, yes, it's me. And and she, I, so we ended up getting together for lunch with my mother. Because as it turned out, and she told me this, she said, you were my first class. I was 23 years old. It was my first teaching job. That was my first class, first grade at Wood Acres. Wow. And your mother was my first ever room mother. Uh-huh. And I'm sure my mother drove her nuts. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Um, but so, and my mother remembered her, and we got together for lunch, and it was very, very nice. And she's at, you know, she, she taught for years, yeah. you know, in the Montgomery County school system. By the way, you, um, you made me think of something when you were talking about neighborhoods, because I, I read this article that Kevin Blackstone wrote in the post yesterday after the show. I, I meant to bring it up on the radio show this morning. It was really, really good. Um, it was on the Washington Caps, the ABA Washington Caps. And Kevin Blackstone, who you know writes for the post and is part of the Merrill College of Journalism out of right. Maryland, <clears throat> does a great job with that. Um, and uh, uh, and George Solomon, obviously, who, uh, you know, I think George is now, did George retire I from think all he's of that? retired. Uh, George is such a great guy, did such a great job, and that's such a great journalism school, the, the Merrill School of Journalism, uh, College of Journalism at Maryland. But anyway, Kevin wrote a story titled, For One Difficult Season 50 Years Ago, an ABA team called Northeast D.C. It's home. 
Tommy, this is the first basketball game that my father ever took me to. My father, I've told you this before, was an AFL fan, a Cassius Clay Muhammad Ali fan, an ABA fan. He yeah. was every he was anti-establishment. Okay. That's who my father was as yeah. a young person and as a young father as well. The first basketball I ever got was an ABA red, white, and blue basketball. And the first game he ever took me to <clears throat> was at the Washington Coliseum to see this team that played 50 years ago, the Washington Caps, they were an ABA team. And the story is awesome because Rick Barry was on that team. I remember I remember reading about that. I've talked when we've had Rick Barry on the show once or twice over the years, and I always bring it up. And yeah. I re- he said something to Kevin in this story that he, is, that he said in one of the times we had him on the show. He said that was one of the worst years of his life <laughs> living in Washington, D.C. because... The Oakland Oaks were an ABA team that that were purchased by Earl Foreman, who was a D.C. guy. He moved them to D.C., but the schedule for that season had already been set up as a West Coast ABA team. So they traveled. They, I mean, the traveling schedule that they had was ridiculous. Yeah. They were playing most of their, their games in Western and Mountain time zones as an East Coast team. But there were a couple of things out of the story, and I just I, I just opened it up because it, it made me think of this. So H Street Northeast, you know, all of those areas now are so much different than they were. But, you know, 1969-1970 is the year after the riots. Yes. You know, th- this city, you mentioned this when we were talking about the senators, um, or maybe it was you, but I, I know that I, I followed up on it and talked about one of the reasons that, that the attendance was so awful in 68 and would have been better in 69 when Ted Williams got here is that a lot of the fan base, especially those that lived in suburbia, didn't want to go down to RFK for those baseball games. And this Washington Coliseum, which by the way, was where we would see the circus, you know, Ringling Brothers would do the circus. There was no other arena. There was no Capitol Center. There was nothing downtown. There was no convention center, I don't think. Maybe there was. But this was a big building. It it sat 8,000 people. Yes. But they had so much issue with getting people down there because it was not a good neighborhood. It was a terrible neighborhood. And there's some really good um, quotes from... Um, so this was from, this was a quote from Ira Harge, who was a six, nine black center from New Mexico playing in the team. And he said, um, he said there, there was a lot of vacant houses and vacant land. We had a difficult time finding a place to practice. He said, some of the area looked like parts of Detroit now, you know, in, in remembering his time in the city. He said, I didn't know Washington. We didn't spend time in the city. I lived in Hillcrest Heights. Rick Barry, uh, where is the uh, where are the Rick Barry um, lines? Rick Barry, by the way, had 55 in a game against Denver <laughs> as a Washington cap that one season. <clears throat> but he said, um, I'm going to find it here. This used to be called Uline Arena at one point, right? No, it became Uline Arena became after Uline the Washington Arena. Coliseum. Okay. And by the way, the Washington Coliseum, I believe this is true, in 1964 was the first live show for the Beatles when they got to America. They did the Washington Coliseum, then went to New York and did the Ed Sullivan Show, and then did Shea Stadium. Okay. I, I, I'm pretty sure that the Washington Coliseum is the very first Beatles show in North America. 
Oh, here they are. Here are the uh, Rick Barry uh, quotes from the, the Kevin Blackstone story. Quote, don't call it a coliseum. It was a rat hole, he said. Um, the neighborhood resided mostly in, in a black area that had been really destroyed during the 68 riots. He said, quote, I had to pay a guy to watch my car. He had a Ferrari, by the way. Okay. It was a tip well spent, and Barry said nobody ever broke into his car. Um, he moved, he, he said... It, quote, it was not a pleasant experience for me um, being in D.C. He he lived in Chevy Chase, uh, which he said obviously was a much safer area than where the Coliseum was, but they also practiced uh, at St. Albans, which is, you know, quite a hike from H Street Northeast. Yes. Um, and then he said um, about D.C. and the experience, he said, I just didn't think the team was going to make it in the area. I th- and I said, I think Washington needs a team and deserves a team. But I told everybody then, I'm paraphrasing that part, you've got to play in the suburbs where land is cheap and people will come. Close quote. And sure enough, when Abe Poland moved Baltimore yeah. to Washington, he built the arena, the Capitol Center, in, in the, the suburbs. suburbs. Yeah. You know, in Landover. Um, which was just a few years later. Um, they moved from here to Virginia Beach and became the Virginia and Squires. Squires. And I, I actually didn't Who know Dr. that Dr. J wound up playing And George for. Gervin. That team at one point had Dr. J, George Gervin, and maybe Rick Barry all on the same team. Is that possible? I don't know if Barry was still with them then. Maybe not. Um, it's actually a really interesting story, but I, I just... I, uh, I God, I, man, I... I remember I was so young, and I remember the circus, and I remember the Washington Caps. You know, they were called the Capitals, but they had caps on their jerseys, and they played an ABA season here before the NBA ever got here. And before, uh, you know, it was simultaneous with, remember, Washington in, in that era, high school basketball was number one. Like, DeMatha was already a powerhouse with Morgan Wooten. St. Anthony's with John Thompson was a powerhouse locally and nationally. High school basketball was on the front page of the sports section all the time. Because you didn't, you had a football team, you had a baseball team, and you didn't have any basketball, no hockey. High school basketball was huge. And then in 1969, Lefty arrived. Right. And that changed everything from a basketball standpoint. Maryland became the basketball team. And really, until Georgetown got built up and until the Bullets moved here, um, you know, Lefty and Maryland basketball were a big deal. Oh, yeah. You know, a- absolutely. <clears throat> and who would have thought more than 50 years later? that the Washington Caps would be a bigger deal than than the NBA team that's in town now. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah, well, the, the, the hockey Washington Caps. No, I mean I the, the ABA Washington Caps. Yeah. Um, the ABA, pe- people that don't uh, remember this, go YouTube the 1976 ABA All-Star Game dunk contest. That's the one where Dr. J takes off, you know, the legend of that is that he took off from beyond the free throw line and dunked it to win the contest. I believe that George Gervin and Artis Gilmore were the other two participants. I know Gervin was the Iceman, but if you, that that dunk contest is available. Oh, David Thompson. David Thompson right. was in that dunk contest too. But that dunk contest is available on YouTube. And he doesn't take off from beyond the free throw line. That 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 last st- step is inside the free throw line. But still, that was the dunk. Oh yeah, you know of that era. Yeah, and and and, with- and then you can also Google the. You want to see Doctor J at his best? Uh, Google the ABA Finals. I think from that year. 
I think they played Denver in the finals, and I think they won in five games. And and I remember watching that on TV. Uh, that the first real look I got at, at, at Dr. J, and uh, he, I mean that, you know, when you, when Dr. J finally made it to the NBA, you didn't see his best game. His best game was in the ABA. That's what people say, but age-wise, he should have been in his prime in the NBA. Well, I'm just telling you, what we, what we saw in, in the ABA was the kind of stuff that made you stop. Oh, I mean, some of those highlights. Look, Dr. J in the ABA was the, was the reason that the two leagues merged. You know, Dr. J was this phenomenon. Yes. And people, you know, who were NBA fans, they watched, you know, Dr. J and knew of his dunking prowess and and that forced the merger, um, which, you know, there's so many interesting stories about the ABA-NBA merger. First of all, he doesn't stay with the Nets. He goes to the 76ers. Right. And the 76ers, in the first year of the ABA-NBA merger, go to the finals and play Portland. In a great NBA final. A great NBA finals. The, the Bill oh. Walton, yeah. uh, Portland Lionel Hollins, yes. that team. Maurice Lucas. Yeah, Maurice Lucas. And, and Portland wins that series in six games, and that would ultimately be the beginning of a really tough stretch for a team that thought they were going to win title after title yeah, after title. And they didn't win until Moses Malone got until there. Until Moses got there. Yeah. They didn't win until Moses got there. When they had Dr. J and George McGinnis. And McGinnis. McGinnis was highly respected Daryl Dawkins, World, World Be Free, Dr. Yeah. J, Mix, Bobby Jones. Yeah. They had the most talent, and they couldn't win it. In, in fact, Tommy, they didn't even go back. T- so they... They they lost in in seventy seven to Portland, lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Bullets in seventy eight, the year the Bullets won it. In seventy nine, they didn't even make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. In eighty, they made it to the NBA Finals and lost to Magic. In eighty one, it was Bird's first year. Eighty two, they lost again to the Lakers. The Sixers did, and then finally in the eighty three season, they traded for Moses Malone, and he came in and got Dr. J his ring. Yeah. Dr. J would never have gotten a ring without without Moses Malone. No, and that, I think I think Gene Shue had been the coach in the early days. He was, and then Billy Cunningham was the coach exactly. when they won the title. That's exactly right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And by the way, you mentioned a guy. Just one last thing, Artis Gilmore. In the ABA, go Google stories about how strong artists, how strong and feared artist oh, Gilmore yes, was. Yes, I know. I mean, yeah. I, I, I've, and, I mean, and by the way, we, Maurice we about, Lucas too. Yeah, but but artist Gilmore. I mean, we know about Wilt and and how strong he was and how he could do anything. And artist Gilmore is kind of a forgotten guy. He was a feared man everywhere he went by his teammates and his opponents because he was so strong. Oh yeah, he was he was such a fear guy. And by the way, never smiled. Had this really mean looking disposition yeah. about him. And you know the teams that the Spurs had with Gervin and Silas and Artis Gilmore um, and you know Olberding and those guys. They really had chances to yeah. you know to to be to win an NBA title. But when they were in the Eastern Conference, they lost to the Bullets. And actually, Artis Gilmore was not on that team. He was probably on the Bulls. He was on the Bulls then. And then when they moved to the Western Conference, they lost to Magic's Lakers multiple times in the Western Conference Finals. They were really good. They were a really good team. The other ABA story, I know we're getting sidetracked. We're going to get to to the Haskins stuff, I promise. And I I just want to make sure I remember this correctly. So when the merger happened between the NBA and the ABA, several of the ABA teams didn't cut it. 
and they were offered essentially a buyout to shut down operations, but to take a cut of, you know, whatever it was. And I think it was the St. Louis Spirits, that owner decided not to take the buyout, but to take a percentage of what the ABA teams were getting in terms of the revenue, the the rev share on TV dollars, and it was in perpetuity. And that guy ended up basically making hundreds of yeah. millions of dollars. Yeah, I remember reading about that. Yeah. You know, like the buyout was like $3 million, And he said, nah, I think this whole thing might work out one yeah. day. Yeah. And he took, um, let me see if I can find that. It St. Was, Louis, that's where uh, Mar- was, Marvin Barnes played. And Marvin Barnes played there. Moses Malone played there. Yeah. Uh, and that's where Bob Costas got his start. As a, a big-time uh, play-by-play guy with, with the, the ABA St. Louis team. The owners of the Spirits of St. Louis, it was St. Louis, agreed to be paid a small fraction of the NBA's television money to comfort them for being cut from joining the merged league while the other teams took the lump-sum buyout. Um, this article I'm reading is from 2012. At that point, it was $255 million in their television revenue. Really? And counting. I think they got bought out recently from that. I, I remember I think that they story. Did too. Yeah, I think that story maybe yeah. in the last year or two. But yeah, anyway. All right. Um, uh, quick read, uh, quick mention about mybookie.ag. I've been telling you guys that if you don't have a place to bet, consider mybookie.ag. Uh, it's important where you play as much as who you bet on. If you bet on the 49ers last night, my apologies. Not a great smell test again, 4-8 and eight this week. Still up for the year, um, but we've had a, a rough month uh, of the smell test. The public won money last night betting on the underdog, actually. We're going to talk about that game, too, here in a moment. But mybookie.ag is reliable, fast payouts, quality, and reliable point spreads. Plenty of ways to bet games. Go to mybookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC, to activate this offer. They'll double your first deposit if you use that promo code, KevinDC. K-E-V-I-N-D-C at mybookie.ag. You play, you win, and you get paid. All right, let's get to this Haskins Yeah, let's get to... Uh, what year is this? 2019. Let's yeah. get to 2019. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do the old times pretty well. And for those of you that don't enjoy that, sorry, we yeah. do. We, we enjoy it. Yeah. Um. Real quickly on the game last night, the um. I really thought last night, and I felt it early in the game too, that San Francisco was going to make a major statement to everybody about how good they were. I think they're really good defensively. Like, and I and I nothing about the game last night changed my opinion about that. The Seahawks scored 21 points of their 27 on a defensive touchdown and two other turnovers that set up you know 20 yard fields. They didn't have a drive over 47 yards in the game. They couldn't move the football. Although Russell Wilson's so good. Oh, he is. He's so good, and he makes so so many great plays. Um, Here's the big takeaway other than Russell Wilson from the game. It's something I said early in the season. Maybe it was after the Redskin game when the 49ers were here. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is very good. I just don't think he's that good. I could be wrong. Like, you know, maybe he needs more time. He needs more starts. And he's in a, he's in a great system for quarterbacks in Kyle's system. But just watch him. Like, he doesn't throw a good ball. He's inaccurate. Even when balls get caught, they're not caught in a place where guys can run afterwards. 
he had he had three fumble or two fumbles last night. I think he's got like eight eight fumbles this year. Four or five of them he's lost. Something like that. Maybe it's three or four of them that he's lost. I just think that that's ultimately going to be San Francisco's undoing is that he's not going to be good enough to get them to the Super Bowl. Their defense is excellent. Now let me ask excellent. you now, real quick about the 49ers. Yeah. Do they still have they still have two backup quarterbacks who are considered pretty good, right? The 49ers backup quarterbacks? Oh, the guy uh, Mullins? Mullins. Uh boy, I you know what? I don't know who their backup and, quarterbacks and, and are. And don't don't they have uh Bobby Beathard's son? Still? Yeah, uh CJ Beathard is definitely on the roster. Did, Nick Mullins, wasn't he a free agent last year, Aaron? They're both still on the roster. They yes. both are yeah. still on the yes. roster? Okay. And, I mean, I, I know Nick Mullins. Mullins a lot. lot of people like Mullins. I liked Mullins. And, I mean, I think I think C.J. Beathard handled himself well when he was in there. Yeah. So you got to wonder how much of a difference there really is between Garoppolo and, and those guys. I don't know. I, I You know, the, Garoppolo. I mean, the, the difference is the money they're paying. Garoppolo's record now as a starter is like so good. Going back to some of the games he started with, you know, started uh, the uh, in New England. Um, they're eight and one. He's completed a high percentage of passes this year. Not last night. He was twenty four or forty six. I think last night, something like that. Twenty four or forty six, two forty eight. A touchdown, an interception, two lost fumbles in the game. He had three turnovers in the game. And Seattle's defense has been torched recently too. Um, something just to keep in mind, even though Clowney still is. Yes, he's 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 good. Um, but I don't know. There's just something I like. I just watch him and I'm like, I'm I don't I, I'm not impressed. I think you're that not that's, the only one. I think that's their 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 one. That's their Achilles heel, the quarterback position, because they've got the great Shanahan run scheme. Tevin Coleman looks good in it. Matt Breda looks good in it. Um, you know, they've got a great tight end who didn't play last night. Kittle didn't play last night. He was out last night. Um, their defense is really good. You know, especially Bosa last night, who didn't have a sack, but they had how many times did they sack him? Five sacks last night. They really get after the quarterback. But eventually, you know, give me Russell Wilson. Yes. You know, he yes. just makes every play when it seems like there's nothing there to be you had. You know, when you see Russell Wilson play, if you can, you can take yourself into the Seattle uh, Seahawks training camp his rookie year. Put yourself in that in that scene and go back and think what they must have thought after after making a deal to sign Matt, Matt Castle. Right, Matt Flynn. Matt Flynn. Yeah. I always get them mixed yeah. up. Matt Flynn and spending, I mean, what, $18, 19000000 million Spent a lot of money. on Matt Flynn. The first, the first week they got a look at Russell Wilson and what they must have thought. Well, clear. Well, you know, they didn't start him right. I know. If I go back to 2012, I got to go back to that. So Daryl Bevel was the OC. Pete Carroll's the head coach. Pete Carroll's an outside the box thinker to begin with. So he's the kind of guy that's not going to, you know, like like the Redskins. They drafted Dwayne Haskins, so you know it's Haskins because we couldn't be wrong. Uh, Carroll realized, you know, that they were wrong. uh, But I think I think they they knew about they they knew he started the uh, he started the opener. They knew about he started Wilson. Game one yes. of that season. So I'll bet you within the first couple of times seeing him, and they thought, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, this, 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 we got something special here. And you know what they did, which is what simultaneously Mike and Kyle were doing with Robert Griffin III. They were taking a lot of what the Panthers had done with Cam Newton, you know, especially in red zone situations. And they were essentially introducing 
more in, in, in much more importance and in terms of the amount that it would be done to the NFL, a lot of college schemes. Right. You know, a lot of read option, not just in the red zone, which was what Cam Newton was doing. You know, in the, in the red zone, Carolina in 2011, you know, you got into the red zone and Cam was as much a run threat as he was a throw threat. And you saw all of that. The Redskins did it differently and they did it right from the jump with Griffin coming out in the shock and awe game, yes. um, as Tommy dubbed it uh, in September of 2012, that you know we, we were going to see shock and awe, and we did. And they lined up in the pistol, and they've got Griffin you know, basically as a dual-threat quarterback. Well, Daryl Bevel figured it out right away, too, that you know this guy is much more than just a quarterback. We can do so many things. And Wilson still to this day does a lot of that stuff. He's just really the one of the best at – making something out of nothing. He's got incredible feel. He's got incredible vision. He extends plays. The three guys in the league that do it the best are Rodgers, Mahomes, and Wilson. Those are the three guys that make more out of a, a play that doesn't go the way it's called than any other quarterbacks, you know, any of the other quarterbacks in the league. And it's one of the reasons that they're good red zone quarterbacks. You might have to add Lamar Jackson to that list pretty soon. Yeah. And, and you might want to no point doubt. out, and, and who's the offensive coordinator in Baltimore? Uh, that's Greg Roman. I thought it was Daryl Bevel. No, Roman did with Kaepernick in San Francisco okay. what Bevel was doing with Wilson and what okay. Kyle and Mike were doing That's with RG3. Right. Okay. Yeah, Greg Roman's doing a phenomenal yes, job. Yes, he is. But, you know, it takes an organization that's smart, that's willing to think differently, and that's the Ravens. Yes. You know? And that's a guy like Pete Carroll. Absolutely. You know, so, um, but Wilson, you know... I remember early on, he wasn't an accurate thrower all the time. He had a difficult time just as a drop-back thrower on third and long when they knew. Now, man, whenever he drops out, I don't care what the down and distance is, he's going to create something and make something happen. Um, He is, right now it's Wilson and Jackson, right, Aaron, in terms of the odds for MVP? Yeah, uh, is Wilson Wilson's the favorite now? Jackson's right behind him, yeah. and then it's a drop off before guys like Deshaun Watson and Aaron and, Rodgers. And, and Redskins fans don't have to be told this; they know the story about how he was he was drafted in the third round, and at least the story as I remember it being told that if he had been on the board when Mike came around to the fourth round instead of Kirk Cousins, he would have drafted Russell Wilson. Right. Uh, so the Redskins fans know that story. Yeah, uh, well, there was no because way... Because he liked Russell Wilson a lot. Mike loved Russell yes. Wilson. Saw a lot of what you know he ended up being in Russell Wilson um, and would have drafted him in the fourth round had he been there right. rather than Kirk Cousins. Um, but there was Instead, no... Instead, he drafted Josh Larivas. Josh Larivas. <laughs> Do you remember? W- weren't you and I doing Yes, we were doing the draft show at, and we, uh, we, in, we, in, in was, Rockville was, somewhere, at, no, at Buffalo Wild Wings And there was no information. No, we were at the stadium. No, 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 no. Were we at Buffalo Wild no, Wings they, would they have been tra- a first round day. It, it, they, I think you guys were just in the studio. No, no, no. I'm telling no, you, we we, were, they picked them right as we went off the air. I think they picked them. I think we were doing the stadium Saturday okay. thing, and we're looking for information on Josh Larebus. We didn't even know how to pronounce it, and there was nothing. And there the, was fo- no the photos of him looked like he was like John Belushi. <laughs> but I kept then calling we, him Belushi. But then we got him on the show. Yes. We had him on the show. And he was a nice, nice young man. Yeah, I think we asked if he was French. I think is he still in the in, in the NFL? He might be still in the you NFL. No, I think he played for the Saints for a while. He's he might be playing with somebody right yeah. now. Yeah. Um anyway, we don't need to talk about Josh Larebus. No. He's currently a free agent. Okay. He's currently a free agent. 
Uh, yeah, he played in New Orleans last year. Played three games with the Saints last year. All right, so Dwayne Haskins um, was named the starter yesterday by Bill Callahan. There are a couple of questions that I want us to uh, ask each other and answer um, each other, uh, answer to each other. The first one is this, and this is what I did on the radio show this morning because I think it sort of is the the most important thing right now and looking forward, and that is over these final seven games, everybody has a gut feel right now about what Dwayne Haskins is. You've seen him start one game. You've seen him come in in relief in two other games. But you have a gut feel for how this is going to turn out over the final seven games. What's yours? Uh, he'll be either on the IL or sideline. It's, it's, it's not called the IL. What's anymore. it that's, called? That's, that's the injured, it's still the injured reserve. Injured reserve. <laughs> he will be on that list or he'll be benched before the end of the year. He won't make it to the last game. You just want somebody other than no. the quarterbacks on the roster to play no, so no, that no, your no, prediction no. Well, ends up being right? Of course I want to be right. You know, I mean, I'm used to it. So, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I like it. Right. You know, it's it's a familiar feeling for me. I just I just think that, uh, that you know, he's he's now, he's now the con- conductor on the train wreck. And he's going to find out uh, that uh, that's a dangerous job. Um. Barring injury, he's going to start the final seven games. I do not see any reason or any – well, it's them, so everything's always in play. I can't imagine that he would get benched. What if he has a three-interception first half? Is he benched in the second half? No chance. Really? Zero chance. At home. At home. Being booed as he walks There's no at home anymore. I know. That's true. Okay, there's no at home anymore. You're right. I think there's scenarios where he gets pulled in games. Absolutely. I don't. I don't. Um, So my gut feel is that he's going to show enough to intrigue us, but not enough to convince us. Well, he's part of the problem is he's limited by he's limited by what's around him. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of yeah, tools. All of these quarterbacks that get picked in the top half of the draft that end up playing in their rookie yes, year have limitations around that's them. True. And, They're usually by picked the way, they, by bad and, teams. And I don't want to forget this point either because a lot of people have said to me, well, I mean, do you want him to play with two coaching staffs in, in less than a year? I, I, a lot of these guys do. If you go back through the list of some of these quarterbacks in recent years, you know, Baker Mayfield's got a new coach. Sam Darnold's got a new coach this year. You know, you, you uh, Jared Goff got a new coach. It, it happens all the time. When you get drafted that high, you're probably playing playing on a bad team yeah. and you may be playing on a team where the coach coaching situation is about to change. But I think we're going to see a show I think we're going to see enough to be intrigued by and at the same time not enough to be convinced by. And I want to make this clear because I was bullish to a certain degree about the Buffalo game. I thought that he played pretty well. I, I thought I B-. thought he, I thought he played fine. But I'm not looking for the Buffalo game to be intrigued. It's got to be a lot more than just calling the play successfully, getting to the line of scrimmage and getting the snap off without calling timeouts or having delay of games. It's got to be a lot more than that. We need, I think we're going to get in at least a game, probably two. If it's three or four, now we're getting into that area where maybe we're starting to get convinced but we're going to get a reveal here that he has some ability. We're going to have a game, you know, it could be Sunday. Uh, probably not. Maybe the Giant. I don't know what game it'll be. Where he goes 20 
three for 30 for 275, three touchdowns, no picks. You know, they got good balance and they win the game. Or they lose, you know, a very close game because the defense can't stop people or whatever. Um, that's going to intrigue me. And I, I'm predicting we're going to see that. There are going to be two to three stinkers in there, too. You know, a couple of those games where you're like, oh, my God. You know, this guy's terrible. He he just made that throw. But you get that from almost every rookie quarterback in their first eight starts. This is why I would have preferred 12, 13, 14 starts. You know, eight starts is really a short window. Like, he's still going to be figuring things out. But I think we're going to see a guy that has some ability. I think we're gonna. there are going to be a couple of those games that say, you know what, this could be the guy. And then there are going to be several of those games that make you not convinced. And that's, by the way, the worst position that they can be in at the end of the year. It would be really nice after eight games if he really sucked or he was really awesome, like you knew. And the, and the, and being really good is the best thing for the organization, for him to be the guy. And then you don't have to think about drafting a guy in 2020. You spent a lot of time yesterday's on yesterday's right. show talking about Joe Burrow, who I think is going to be the number one pick in the draft. But um, they're not going to draft a quarterback. I want to make that clear. I'm talking about the conversation we're having together about what they should do. What they should do and what they will do are two different conversations. Um, I, I do also want to see the things that I lo- have looked for and, by the way, are not really predicated or tied to a coaching staff or a scheme. You know, I want to see him as a competitor. I want to see him bounce back from a bad play or a bad series or a bad throw with good ones. I want to see him down two scores late in the game, playing with that sense of urgency that you see, you know, some of the great ones play with. It's like, you know, it's 27 to 13, three and a half minutes to go, but he's still trying to win the damn game rather than us running four minute offense or whatever, you know, some coaches referred to it. I don't want to hear anything about him personally that's alarming. (laughs) You know, I don't want to see on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Things that lead me to believe based on my beliefs and intuition that probably lines up a little bit with Tommy's. I don't want to see things or read things that that lead, lead me to believe that he's arrogant or insecure or wildly immature. You know, the Griffin stuff on Twitter still is cringeworthy. Yes. I mean, it is a window into his personality, which for me is not, you know, something that works within a team. You know, he is all about himself. Still to this day, you can see it on social media. Did you see him in the backfield the other day? Yes. The Heisman backfield. With I, wa- I wonder if he went into John Harbaugh's office and complained. Well, no, he was he was tweeting out platitudes I after know. the game. I know. Um, so my guess is we are going to see enough to think, you know what, he could be the guy, but we're also going to see enough that it, we it won't be overly overwhelmingly convincing. Listen, listen. I think everything you said is entirely possible. I think that that's the best odds too. I, th- I think that's that's entirely possible. At I this bet point. he doesn't stink, Tommy. Over seven games, I bet we don't see a guy that's just horrible. But they stink. I understand that. So why wouldn't he stink if well, they stink? Case Keenum had some moments on this stinky team. So why isn't he starting anymore? Because he's not very good either. Okay. And he's not the future. Okay. But but if he was any good, and if they were any good, he'd still be starting. The results of the game aren't can be his performance can be separated from whether or not you win the game. 
Yes, I, it can, but likely it won't be. Callahan talked about that. You know, before the Buffalo start, he said just win. That's what he was going to be judged on. Didn't say that yesterday. Right. Yesterday he said a lot more. I mean, I I, I, I think the odds are against him doing what, what you say. I, I don't think they're, the odds are in favor of it. But I think all that's – What? In, in other words, I think the so odds – So you think that we're going to know something for sure? I, I, I think – no, I don't think – here's what we know. We know something now. I heard you say this on the radio this morning, and I know you hate to say it because it's aggravating – and it 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 it's sort of like reduces everything we do to like to to uselessness, but it really doesn't matter how good he is. <laughs> I <know>. Okay, <laughs> I mean they'll they'll screw it. if he's good. They'll wreck him. They will they will wreck him with his help probably like they did RG three at some point. But they will wreck him. So what are we doing here? I, I look at I know that. Wait, I'm just I just that's the surge I mean, that's the surge. Now light up another cigarette. That's my Surgeon General's warning. I, and then it's okay to light up the other cigarette. You read the warning. We're okay. gonna smoke it anyway. Yeah, you're gonna smoke it anyway. So I just think that if he's good, they will wreck it. And if he's bad, I just think it that that's 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 the Redskins. That's Chinatown. You know, come on, Jake. It's Chinatown. I yes. I mean, I I you know I know what you're saying. I agree with it. It's, it's like, hard to it's, it's, really, it's hard for the, to drive it out of your head. It's of, hard to ignore that. I always say, you know, I could take my stupid pill before I come in to do the show know, and right. and and just act uh, like none of that existed. So we all, not all of us. Some of you really really have sort of missed this. It's a very small fraction of the people that I would call Redskin fans past, Redskin fans present. Take all of us together. There's a small fraction of you that still think we're nuts for saying what I'm about to say. And that is all of these conversations come back to one thing. What does it matter? As Tommy just said, Dan Snyder owns the team. Bruce Allen is still in the organization. They're one of the two or three worst organizations in sports. They're dumb. They're arrogant. They, they, they are completely lacking in self-awareness. They're completely detached from reality. This is a horrible organization. And so what does it really matter whether or not Dwayne Haskins plays well or doesn't play well? Ultimately, they're not winning. I understand that. And I can, I can certainly... Um, from an intellectual standpoint, I understand that. But then, what's the point of having any of these conversations? I know, I know, I know. Because okay, light, light up another but, smoke. But, this time, make it a camel. But we have to have these conversations because they're going to go ahead and allow yes, them to play yes, seasons they are. and games anyway. Yes, they are. They're still in the NFL <laughs> as still, far as they're not in the XFL. They're yet. still in the NFL. They're still in the NFL, and, and the kid's going to play. And I just think that even I just think. That if this kid has an NFL career that's good, it's going to be someplace else. And After he's damaged goods here in Washington. And one more thing, though, which something I have stuck with, and I've said this to you for you know since they drafted him. There's one thing, you know, I use the Colts and the Ursays as the example in the Peyton Manning thing. There's one thing in this particular business, this sport, that can mask dysfunction, and that is an elite. Truly elite quarterback 
that person has the ball in their hands on every snap offensively, and they can they can essentially win you games and turn you into a winning team and a winning organization. But there's more, despite ownership. There's more to it than that. You need not only an, an, an elite quarterback, a Hall of Fame quarterback to do that, you need one with a Hall of Fame maturity. In other words, you need that quarterback to excel on the field and to repel the politics yes. of Redskins Park right. and, so, and to ignore them. And so that possibility is always there for the worst of NFL organizations. I don't know that Dwayne Haskins isn't that guy. I wouldn't bet that he's that guy. I wouldn't. I We've did, seen no indication that he's that guy. No, but now we're going to get a chance to see him play games. I'm talking about the 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 other stuff. The I know. Politics. I, I, look, the H and H thing and the charging for the draft night, and you know, we don't know that that's not much more his father and the people around him. Oh, that's and he no hasn't less repelled a, that. that. Right. Well, it's easier to repel you know somebody you work for than your family sometimes. Unless, <laughs> unless the person you work for becomes your best friend. Oh God! Please, please, Dwayne, don't. You got to allow yourself to be coached. You, the coach is your boss. All right. You're not the coach's boss, even if the owner tells you that. <laughs> it's something that has to get through to him. Yes. Um, but I don't have any indication. There, there's nothing that I've heard that's that, that we started hearing some stuff at the end of, of RG3's rookie year. We started hearing stuff. About Kevin, the entitlement, he the empowerment. He's barely played yet. There's, I know. I mean, not even Snyder <laughs> he hasn't could find a way to buddy up to this guy because he hasn't done anything yet. I have a couple of other things on this, but I, I didn't want to lose this one thought because somebody tweeted this to me, and I just saw it moments ago. It's a really good point. If I've been saying that I think Bruce is going to be gone at the end of this year. You don't agree with me. Right. Most people don't. I'll probably be wrong. I just have a feeling that it's going to happen this year for a lot of reasons. Uh, the, the players don't like him. It's becoming more clear to Dan that, that coaches, people you know, in the building don't really necessarily believe in him or trust him. Um, the Trent Williams thing you know, is, could, could, could be the, the, the event, uh, the situation that really drives home the point, along with maybe 1-15 or 2-14. If Bruce is gone, why wouldn't Trent come back? Trent's made it very clear that Bruce – is the problem that he's the a-hole yes that he's the the cold-hearted one that doesn't care about his cancer didn't care about it doesn't care about it won't ever care about it why wouldn't trent play if bruce is gone at the end well, of this let me year? ask you a question this this is this a good thing I don't know if it's a good thing or not. Okay. I'm just but that, somebody tweeted me this and I thought to myself, yeah, it could. has anybody it else could. considered the fact that if Bruce is gone, Trent will be back? Yeah, but then, then they he, need a left tackle. I, I know that. I, I get Donald that. Penn's gonna be thirty seven years old. But you're gonna be paying this guy a lot of money uh at, at, at near the end of his career. Dan's now. gonna give him a new new deal once Bruce is gone. Okay. Well, I think Dan has to, or else then then Dan becomes a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right, now Man. he's his friend. All right. Um, another, he's everybody's buddy. Another question about this. He's even your buddy. Whose decision do you think this was? This is a tough one. I mean, because my inclination would be normally to say Snyder. Uh, but I don't understand why he wasn't starting the minute uh, Jay Gruden was fired. Uh, you know, there was the NBC Sports Washington report about uh, – 
you know, Callahan, you know, yeah, saying JP he, Finley's report. he wouldn't take the job unless yep. he got uh, total control. And I might want to point out, only the Redskins can give more power to an interim <laughs> coach <laughs> yeah. than they can to the guy yeah. who worked for them for five years. Right. So if that part's true, then that would explain that. Although, <clears throat> although I would think like, like if Snyder wanted to, he could just say, well, I changed my mind, you know. If, if yeah, we'll, we'll we'll hire another interim coach. He's playing, so I don't know who called this. Do you know? I don't know. Um, but my guess is that it was probably like a consensus thing. That here, here's here's my belief. My belief is that when Callahan got the gig after zero and five, and I've said this before, that they all really believed they were about to go on a really good eleven game run, eight and three, nine and two, to prove everybody wrong to basically middle finger everybody that said they sucked because, of course, it was Jay's fault. Right. And, and just as an aside, I don't know why this occurred to me earlier this morning. That New England game, you know, they knew they were going to fire Jay Gruden before the game, after the Giant game, and yet they let him coach it and play Colt McCoy anyway. How stupid to just throw away a game. But – the, you know, where, where it makes sense is, well, we're not going to bring in Callahan and have his first game yeah. be against the Patriots. against the Patriots. We want it to be against the Dolphins. But I think their their feeling, you know, was, you know, we are close. Everybody's wrong. We do have a damn good culture. Everybody's wrong about that. And, you know, this lack of accountability, this lack of discipline and, you know, not wanting to, you know, run the ball and play physical, you know, football on both sides. You know, Jay Gruden's got to go. And, and this is the kind of guy Callahan is. And Bruce and Bruce and Bill are friends from way back. And we're about to prove it to everybody. But what happened was, is after beating Miami, which I do know and have heard, they were thrilled over that win. <laughs> I mean, that was a, they, this was the beginning. That was a signature win for that, them? That was a big win. And they really <laughs> thought they were coming home. And you know what? They actually played pretty well against the Niners on a field that had zero chance of of seeing anything that was real about either team. Actually, um, they didn't they didn't score a touch. That's when they touched down drought started, isn't it? Yeah, they didn't score in that. They didn't score at all in that game. Right. And they haven't <laughs> yeah. scored a touchdown. Yeah, but they but they were down 6 nothing in the fourth right. quarter. Felt that. like they played well. I know. They felt like they had a chance in the first half against Minnesota to do, to uh, do some damage. Um They didn't score a touchdown in that game no, either, did they? No. They, they didn't yeah. score and okay. and then they played the Bills. And they didn't score a touchdown no, in that not, game not either. Game either. I don't think. But at one and eight, at one and eight, it was all right. Now what are we going to do? They weren't, you know, we they, they, people don't understand how well we've played, not scoring a touchdown in three and a half games, and being <laughs> and being one and three under uh, under Callahan. We know that, but it doesn't matter anyway because the record's one and eight. And I think that it was probably a consensus thing, but. I would suggest to you that if it was just Dan, good for him. This is one of those situations where if Bill and Bruce walked in last week and said, we've got to start Case, he gives us the best chance to win. If I'm the owner at 1-8, and eight, I would look at them and say, are you guys insane? How stupid are you? There's no chance you're playing Case Keenum. You're sticking with Dwayne Haskins. We drafted him last year in the first actually, round at number 15. Actually, 
The correct and pronoun. And we're one in eight. The correct pronoun is I drafted him. I drafted I drafted Dwayne yeah. at 15 overall. You know, you showed that he's not going to, you know, basically shit himself in a game against Buffalo. Why would we play a guy that's not going to be with us on a one in eight team? Are you guys dumb? So if he did do that, good for him. That's where an owner should. Because here's the problem, Tommy, is that Callahan and Bruce, if they did suggest Case and the owner overruled them, they were suggesting Case for truly self, you self-preservation. Know, self-preservation. Yeah, I get that. And, and to try to either make themselves look good the rest of the schedule so that they could get, you know, whatever, to try to save the season. I don't know what it would have been. But no, no, no. That, it, I don't care who made the decision. It's the right decision. But my guess is it was probably a consensus decision. Here's the follow-up to that. What is Callahan's motivation the rest of the year? It's very similar to the question that we asked in the preseason as it related to Gruden. Is it better that Gruden go 6-10 and 10, but develop Dwayne Haskins and have the arrow pointed upward at the end of the year and have a really good relationship with Dwayne or go 9-7, and seven, which was never in the cards, with Case Keenum? We only have seven games left, but for Callahan, is it better that he figure out a way to go three and four or four and three or develop Dwayne Haskins and become Haskins buddy along with O'Connell and show by the end of the, the, the seventh game, you know, games five, six, and seven. Wow. This guy's really come along. Callahan's doing a great oh, job with him. It's the latter. It's gotta be the it's latter. It's gotta be the latter. It's gotta be, you know, if, if you, if you can be the coach that presides over the, the positive developments of Dwayne Haskins, that's your best chance at job security. Absolutely. I mean, if you win one or two more games and Dwayne Haskins is stinking up the joint, then you're not you're not the guy you're not the guy Dan's going to want to uh to handle his his prize uh, rookie quarterback. Can I you say job security and and Bill Callahan in the same sentence? That's scary. Well, of course it's scary he, that he would be your head coach I mean, moving we, forward. If this is tr- if we're truly in danger of Bill Callahan being the head coach in 2020, it's not impossible, people, just so you know. It's not impossible. Bruce likes Callahan. They're friendly. Dan gets cover from Bruce. He still likes Bruce. He's his boy. All right, his wings and beer guy. I'm out. I'm on record saying I think Bruce is going to be gone. All right, and we're going to start from scratch. Well, Bruce is gone. Callahan's gone. Of course, but if Bruce is back, could Callahan be back if they go two and five and Dwayne's playing well? Yeah, he could be. If Callahan's back as the head coach of this football team, I mean, we've hit a new low. You know, for that to happen. Dwayne Haskins would have to be lights out. He'd have to be lights out good. I mean, because I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is even a concern anymore because I don't know if they have a clue what they're doing. But if Bill Callahan is is your head coach going into uh, next season, how are you going to sell tickets unless you're going to sell them on 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 a dynamic Dwayne Haskins season? You know, last three or four games of the season. And that's the only way you're going to sell that. So Callahan, I mean, for Callahan to exist as the Redskins head coach, Dwayne Haskins would have to be more than serviceable. He'd have to be literally like jaw-dropping good. 
you know, even then, um, uh, he's just not a head coach. I mean, I know he's been a head coach before. It was like he's you a know, very nice man. Twenty though. years ago, he's he's very nice. He explains oh, things. Well, and, he does explain things. Yes, doesn't he? Yes, he's a very nice man. Um, Aaron, play that sound bite. Play number four for me. Uh, that that we have up there. I want you to hear uh, Callahan yesterday. Who, out of all the coaches in the league, I didn't go through it this week to add up that. I guarantee you, his thirteen or fourteen minutes that he did yesterday was on average three to four minutes longer than most NFL coaches. Although Jason Garrett does super long Monday press conferences. Yeah, but his games are shorter than everybody else. <laughs> his games are shorter than everybody else's. <laughs> yes, I mean, I wouldn't it be nice on Sunday in at Ghost Town Field if you know. If Haskins hadn't started Sunday, a hundred or less people was yes. a possibility. Yes, absolutely. People <laughs> um, people may be curious enough to come out to see Haskins. How many though? I know. All right. Listen to, to I want I want you to hear this one bite uh from from Callahan. This was the one where he uh he, he's asked about the decision to start Dwayne and was there anything from the Buffalo game that influenced that decision? There's a first part of this and then a second part that I want to talk about. We thought, you know, the consistency of his play, I thought that outside, you know, when he, when he was working the ball outside, I thought his progressions were clean. Uh, he was decisive. He had the arm talent to cut the air in, in bad weather. And we're getting into that phase of the year, you know, November and December, where the elements are playing a factor now. So I think it's really important, you know, to have the arm strength and also he needs the experience, and uh, let's face it, let's let's uh, give Dwayne an opportunity. We're at a juncture where where we don't want to be, where we don't want to be record-wise. Uh, so this is a good opportunity for him to take advantage of every rep, uh, practice-wise and game-wise, so we can see growth in his play. So, at the so ver- for one thing, he's saying that Case Keenum is not a good cold-weather quarterback. <laughs> I don't know if he's saying that. Yes, he is. What he is saying. He talked about arm strength. And bad weather. And cut his ball does cut. I know, like, it's the Aaron Rodgers. That thing zips. And he had some of those zip throws yeah, against Buffalo. Um, so that was the first part of it. The the second part of it where he finally, you know, sort of admits. We're not what in a great we, shape. What we've, been, we, what we've known for over a, well, going back to 0-3. When they were down 28-3 at halftime to Mitch Trubisky, and the Bears, when Mitch Trubisky was lighting up, didn't you know then? <laughs> Come on. Um, but when they uh, – th- this was why I think, like, you know, they all realized after the loss to Buffalo, we now have eight losses, not seven. Nine and seven uh, – seriously, they were thinking this way. I think they were. That they still had a chance to prove everybody wrong record-wise, you know, and performance-wise. And now, like, what's the point? Like, we should be playing this guy, and we should be focused on this guy now and some of our other young people, and Geis is going to get a chance yes. to play on Sunday. Um, but they're 1-8. and eight. They're terrible. It would be great just to hear him say that. We're, he couldn't even say the record. No. He said we're at a place record-wise where yes. we don't want to be, where we yeah. didn't expect to be. Uh, yeah, 1-8. and eight. Um, It's not very good. Uh, the, the, they're, they're a one-point favorite Sunday over the Jets. I don't think they'll win the game. Really? No. No, I think the Jets are actually better than – I actually think the Jets are better than their record says. Wow. Um, but anyway, they're not a good team either. I'm not saying no, they're No, they're team. not. Uh, real quickly before we leave for the day, um, do you think there's any chance – Brian Cashman said at the winter GM meetings in Scottsdale – or the, I'm sorry, not the winter, the November GM meetings in yeah. Scottsdale 
you know, that, that they're definitely, you know, going to be targeting Cole and Strasburg. Two questions. One, do you think the Yankees would be interesting to Strasburg? And two, how do you think Strasburg would do in New York? I don't think he'd do very well in New York. I don't think he'd be interested in playing for the Yankees. Uh very, I think I don't think he'd do very well at all in New York. I mean, he's it took him this long to come to a comfort level here in Washington, which is a pretty soft media market. And to go in New York where he'll have no time to adjust, he'll be expected to adjust and deal with it right from the start. Uh, I don't think he would survive in New York, I don't think he'd do very well. Um, do you still think he's going to resign here? The only th- again, the only reason if if he doesn't resign here, if the, if the Nationals aren't aggressive in in getting him to sign here, it's because of concerns of how of the shelf life of Tommy John uh, patients. Right. You know that would be the only reason to invest a lot of money in a guy who's got two hundred and twenty seven starts since his Tommy John surgery. I think he's got thicker skin than anybody's giving him credit for. It took I, a long time I to get there. I understand that, but he is now what he is now. I think that he – I don't want him to go to New York. God, it would be so disappointing if they come back as the defending champions without Rendon and Strasburg. That really would be crushing. Like, I I, I like I, – I, I would really feel like that would suck. I want both you know of those you'd, players you'd, back. You'd feel so like badly. The, like the 2004 uh, uh, Florida Marlins. Marlins, yeah, right, or the '98 Marlins, Marlins. When, when they when they won and then they they wound yeah. up letting everybody. go. I mean, it, it it wouldn't be that kind of you know completely right. cut payroll down to nothing, but you know you want those two key cogs to their first ever World Series title, you know, second for DC. Um, I just want them back. But I was thinking about, because Galdi was talking about it this morning, that he would get eaten alive in New York. I don't think Strasburg would get eat, eaten alive anywhere would. anymore. Oh, no, 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 no. It's only because he's here in his cocoon in Washington. Right. I just think he's got thicker skin now than he used to. I don't know. I mean, he's only got thicker skin in because he, he he's grown that skin in, in this nice temperature-controlled hothouse in Washington. Where the temperature is nuclear in New York, he he would he'd become the orchid again within a second. All right. Um, well, I just hope he ends up here. I mean, the Yankees. The, the, I mean, Cashman's going to go after Cole or yeah. Strasburg hard, and there's yes. going to be a massive deal on the table for Strasburg from yeah, they somebody. There will that the learners are going to have but, but, to match you know, more if, likely if the, than not. If the Nationals have the same, if the Nationals have a Tommy John concern then other teams will have it too. You know, it, again, he may be the exception to the rule. You know, they may have data now that says it's it's it, there's no difference. I don't know. But I know at one point the Nationals felt like there was, you know, those, those guys only lasted a, a certain amount of time before they blew out and needed Tommy John surgery again. Doesn't mean they always will. It doesn't mean Strasburg will. But it was a concern early on. Last thing, um, I can't believe I haven't told you this already. Um, I saw it's totally non-sports related. I didn't mention this already in the show, right? Because I, I talked about it on the radio show. I saw Joker on Sunday. No, we haven't. You haven't mentioned that. So, have you seen it? 
No, I have not seen it. Do you have it. any interest in seeing it? I'll probably wait until it comes around on TV and, and pay, pay for it that way. Okay. Um, it's one of those movies that actually is a really cool movie in the theater okay. to see. Joaquin Phoenix is so, so good in this movie. I, I haven't seen all of his movies. I didn't see her. All right, I didn't see The Master. The Master, I liked a lot. Uh, I, a lot of people like it a lot. You know, he was phenomenal as Johnny Johnny Cash and Walk the Line. Yes. He was great. You know, he was very good in Gladiator. You yes. know, he didn't have the lead role. Russell Crowe did, but he was very good in Gladiator and, and other movies that he's done. Tommy, this is like one of the incredible performances. Like, this movie is disturbing in a lot of ways. I liked it a lot. I don't know what the reviews were. I, 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 I'm interested, actually, now in finding out what the reviews were. Aaron, have you seen it or not? Uh, I have not seen it. I just haven't had time. What the, are the reviews? You the, would review, the reviews are generally favorable, especially of his performance, but it's, you know, should this movie have been made is kind of the overwhelming if they're negative. It's, Why? Why? Because of mental illness? Because yes. of... Yes. That That's kind of... I, I haven't read all the, you know, all or even most of the reviews because I've tried to stay a little uh, under the radar about it, but that's kind of... It's 69% on Rotten Tomatoes, and that's kind of it. Is basically the content isn't necessarily what should have been made, but everyone loves his performance. I, I liked the movie. This is not a Batman movie, just so everybody understands. Now, there is. It's in Gotham City. Right. You know, there there's a young Bruce Wayne that emerges at one point in the movie, the, the son of Thomas Wayne, who is, you know, um, I'm not going to you know okay. to ruin, ruin, ruin the story, but basically he plays... This person who's had major mental illness has been hospitalized, lives at home in a poor you know, situation. His job is to dress up as a clown and hold signs up for businesses or go to hospitals to perform for your, you know, for young you know, sick kids. But he's mentally disturbed. And it plays out in a pretty horrifying, violent way. But his performance was just... Like he's a weirdo to begin with. You've seen him on talk shows oh, and different yeah. things. He's he's definitely off. Yeah, he nailed it. It was so brilliant. I I just loved every the way he played these things. The the looks, the way he said things. He's got an uncontrollable laugh, which was the you know the Joker had this yeah. you know uncontrollable where he would just start laughing inappropriately in various spots. It is violent. Um, I don't know. I loved it. I thought it was so good. It's very dark. You saw it by yourself, right? Yes. Okay. So um, I got frustrated with the football on Sunday, and I was going to go see the Irishman, but it's the Irishman had a, a super uh, crowded theater, and uh, and I and it was too long, and that would have meant that I would have missed the Minnesota Dallas game and Kurt's game because I wanted to watch Kurt on <laughs> Sunday night. Um, but anyway, you I, both of you, I think, would like it and would would I love. I probably him. will. I mean, I like him a lot. I do want to see The Irishman. And The Irishman yes. involves the story of this guy, Frank Sheeran. Frank Sheeran. An Irishman. He, he's the, it centers around him, who on his deathbed claimed that he's the guy who killed Jimmy Hoffa. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but there's more to it that reminded me of you. Yes. Well, I mean, the guy that Sheeran worked for was a mobster in northeastern Pennsylvania named Russell Buffalino, who I covered and wrote a lot about in my time in, in Pennsylvania. You stole something from right, the Buffalinos. Right, about organized crime. <laughs> and I have a little Frank Sheeran uh, souvenir at home. Uh, they had a testimonial dinner for Russell Buffalino 
after he had his latest stint, he had gotten out of federal prison, and they had it up in Wilkes-Barre at a small little motor lodge in Wilkes-Barre. Tony Bennett was the star performer, <laughs> wow. I might want to point out. And uh, the night before, in a meeting of the Buffalino clan, uh, a bunch of crime commission agents served a bunch of uh, served them with subpoenas to testify, you know, for hearings. So at at the at the uh, banquet, uh, they're having like a cocktail hour in the lobby, and I knew I found out about this banquet, uh, but it wasn't publicized. And uh, you know, there's judges there and politicians and mobsters there, and union bosses and all kinds of people. And I'm just kind of hanging around the lobby trying to blend in. And then they all go into the ballroom for, you know, to have dinner. And the lobby's empty. And right on this table in front of the ballroom is a seating chart taped to the table that has everybody's name on the chart who's supposed to attend this dinner. So without even thinking about mm-hmm. it, really, I, I, I grab this I grab this chart. I tear it off the table. I throw it under my arm. I don't look back. I go running out the door. I go running down the street as fast as I can, which we know is not very fast, <laughs> but it was yeah. fast as I could go, hoping that somebody wasn't going to grab me from behind and give me a beating. I got, in my, I got in my Volkswagen bug and took off and went home and wrote the story about all the guys who were supposed to appear at this thing, you know, and one of them was, his name is written right there, Frank Sheeran. The Irishman. Frank Sheeran, who I might want to point out, I ride, Dan Moldea is one of the best investigative reporters in Washington. He wrote the definitive book about Jimmy Hoffa years ago called The Hoffa Wars. He believes that Sheeran is a fraud, that he, he, didn't, he had no, nothing involved with the killing of Jimmy Hoffa. I ride with him. But he, I, do, I, but he does believe that Frank Sheeran was a hitman for the, for the Buffalinos or for the mob. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, he thinks that Frank Sheeran is, is, is a fraud and, and did not kill Jimmy Hoffa. I'll just leave it at that and tend to believe that. So I, I think like the whole premise of the movie is kind of a fraudulent. doesn't make it a bad movie. but uh, What's odd is that De Niro plays him. Yes. You know, an Italian's playing a guy that was really Irish. Yes. Um, I, I, I'm actually looking forward to seeing that movie because there's – it's, you know – it's a Scorsese movie. It's three and a half hours, which is unbelievable. But to me, that's the kind of movie I think I want to see in the theater. Really? Because it'll Netflix. be on Netflix in a couple I of weeks. Un- I understand that. I just think I would rather see it in the theater. Okay. Movies like that, I think, are better in the theater. I agree with you. I just don't know about the three and a half hour I length in a long. theater. Yeah. It's long. But so was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Have you seen that yet? I have not seen it yet. So... Um, I'll find a time to see it. Anyway, uh, are we done? Because we've heard that story before. It's a great one. Yes. It's a good way to end the show on. One of these days, if Tommy goes missing, maybe <laughs> be able to trace it back to the time that he stole the seating chart <laughs> at, a, at a mob testimonial for uh, for Russell Buffalino back in, what, the 70s? Back in, I think it was 1970, 1980. Your heart must have been pounding. Oh, yeah. But once I got in my car and took off, I knew I had gold. <laughs> you had gold. I had gold, baby. Were, were, were your editors, were your people really, they're like, God, well, you are some they, investigative they, reporter. They weren't used to publishing those kind of stories. Did anybody hesitate publishing it? No, no. There was no fear of it? No. Was there fear on your part? Uh, not at what I had. Now, I might want to point out, uh, just to be fair and, and honest in the coverage, not long after that, I did publish a mob-related story, not related to Buffalino, but somebody else. 
that turned out to be wrong and got sued for it. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got sued a few times. Did you? Yeah, I've never told you about my lawsuits. No, I don't think you we'll have. We'll do that some other time. Let's do that another time. That's okay. interesting. Let me write that one down. Okay. Tommy's lawsuits <laughs> because he's one of them, not a good reporter. One of them <laughs> went to the U.S. Supreme Court. Seriously? Yeah, there's, there, yeah. One of my cases went right up to the Supreme Court. Wow. Uh, we got to do that one okay. day. That would be very interesting to do. All right, that's the show uh, for today. Enjoy the day. We'll do some NFL stuff tomorrow. I'm sure the Redskins will produce another worthy story between now and tomorrow as well. Have a great day.